You'll have to bear with me. <clears throat> I've got to have my water with me because I've never been, I've not never, I haven't been sick in so many years, I can't even tell you. But uh, this week, after we had our meeting on Wednesday, I started feeling the, the throat and the lung thing. I thought, oh, Lord, just get me through today. That's all I want. I can get sick Monday, next week, but today. So if I start to break up a little bit, it's not because I'm going to be crying, although that might happen. I'm a teary kind of guy, but it's basically my throat or my chest is a little bit sore. I can't begin to tell you what an honor it is to be back here with you guys. Uh, this has been my home church, will be my home church. Um, I, was, I, I always felt like a missionary from this church going out. I didn't go to Africa or to India. I went to Doheny. Such a struggle down there. Um, but it was quite an experience down there. With uh, I ran into a lot of eclectic people. Um, it probably a way to to uh, get me to understand my my middle son, eclectic, you know. So I, I went out in the field to learn about him. But it was fun. I had a great time down at the beach. We had a very very successful ministry down there. Um, uh, my cathedral was a little bit different than this one. I had no walls or heat or air conditioning or anything. I smelled bacon cooking on the fires and. Uh, a lot of strange people. My very first Sunday down there, uh, it was about five minutes before my very first service. And I was a little bit nervous. You're always nervous at the first one. And um, a gentleman walked up to me, and I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and he went over to my coffee pot, and, and he turned to me, and he said, can I take some cream? Only he used language a little bit stronger than that. And I said, certainly you can. And he said, well, my blanky blank girlfriend left her creamer at home or something. So we got a little conversation, and as he was taking his coffee, I said, just take or his cream. just said, leave me a little bit because I've got people showing up. And he said, who paid for this? And I said, well, I did. Oh, he said, thank you. I appreciate it. And then he turned to me, and the visual you have to see is uh, a typical beachcomber. He had the long shorts, the uh, down below his belly button, way down below, and a big old beer belly, no shirt, and one of those hats that, you know, has the flaps in the back to keep the sun off you. And uh, that, I thought, okay. And he turned and said, I need to talk to you. And I thought, okay, what do you want to talk about? And he says, why do you hate Jews and, and homosexuals? And now I've got three minutes before the service starts. People are filling in. I thought, Lord, you tested me here. So I said, no, you know, stick around. You know, we'll chat about it afterwards. Uh, he didn't. But, you know, we had a little bit of a conversation. But I ran into an awful lot of people like that and enjoyed it. It was just an absolute great time. It was a long drive every Sunday. Um, but this church here stepped up to help me when I needed it the most down there. I had musicians. I had prayers coming from my home church. And so when the guys asked me if I wouldn't mind stepping in, it was absolutely the very least, the very least I could do for you guys, people I still call family and friends, that I could step in and fill in the gap until you make a decision on what you have to do. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make, and I hope that those decisions going forward are made in deep prayer and thought and love and consideration for everybody and that uh, you see God's will in whatever direction you happen to be going. But for, foremost, do it in prayer. Just bathe yourself in prayer. And uh, not that I'm the shining example of that. I did a lot of things at the beach that uh, I probably didn't pray deep enough or hard enough or long enough about. But I have learned in the 50 years I've been on this planet that uh, prayer does work. And prayer does change things, as that TV or radio preacher says, the radio, Bible, something. Prayer does change things. And I've seen that in, in action. I've seen it in my heart. So before we go into God's Word... If you could uh, just bow your heads with me and pray over this. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning as humble, humble servants of yours. And I ask you for guidance this morning, Father, as I bring forth your word, and that I hope that the words that come out of me are words that can touch this community of believers that look to you and love you dearly. I ask you to please guide my path, guide my words, guide this congregation as they go forward over the next few months trying to decide where they have to go. 
And that every step of the way, Father, that you are in the middle of it and that you guide them and show them where you'd like them to go. Father, I ask you to put a covering of love and care and concern over this church that they haven't seen in a while, that you can just be a healing balm to their souls. And Father, if I can be a little part in that and help, please let me. And if I can step out of the way, Father, you just give me the words to step out of the way and I will do that as well. But guide this congregation and keep them close to your heart. I ask you this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, one of the things that... Do you, do you mind if I come down? I feel like... One of the things that um, I liked about the beach and the desert so much was my uniform, if you will, was not this. So this may be the last time you see me in a suit and tie. Next week it's probably going to be dockers. And, but at the beach, you know, we had blue jeans and t-shirts and I was a little bit more comfortable. So uh, although every time I came to church here over the years, it was always in a suit and tie and I felt like... One of those gargoyles. I always stood in the back, you know, whatever my little job was back there, in my suit and tie, so I'm comfortable with it. But I'd like to, um, to work out of the book of James this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could join me in James chapter 1. And, um, you know, I was telling Carl on the way in here that those of you that don't think the devil throws roadblocks in your way, he absolutely threw roadblocks in my way this week. Um, like I said, I haven't been sick in forever, and now I feel my... You know, my throat's a little bit sore. Jan and I went out on a date yesterday. We went car shopping. We went out with the intention of spending about $5,000, $6,000 on a junker to get me up and down the hill. And the next thing we were looking at the $70,000 Lexuses. So, oh well. And then my glasses somewhere in some car lot up in the high desert are my glasses. So these, you all have junk drawers? These are my junk drawer glasses. So if I put them on, I can't see you, which is probably a good thing. I won't be near as nervous, huh? But... Um, I had a lot of roadblocks coming up this week, and, uh, but I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, let's look at the book of James. We're going to go with uh, chapter 1, and we'll try to get through uh, verse 16. I wanna, do you guys remember John Schneider? Well, when I was ordained two years ago, John was sitting right there in that little corner seat, and he listened. He was very intent, you know, watching me. And a couple months after that, John took ill, and he went out to uh, the Veterans Hospital out in Loma Linda. And uh, he called me one day from Loma Linda and said, Mike, would you come out and pick me up and bring me to church? And I thought, well, gee whiz, I'd be happy to. So I, you know, I figured I'd just drive out to Loma Linda, throw him in the truck, bring him back in here. And he said, afterwards, would you mind if we just you know, had either a bite of lunch or maybe just one little errand? It won't take long at all. I said, no problem at all, John. So went out and picked him up, wheeled him in here. He sat there and then wheeled him out. And in the conversation at lunch, he said, you know, at your ordination, he said, I had 30 and out going on you. And I said, 30 and out? He said, yeah, I was going to walk out on you because you went beyond 30 minutes. I thought, oh, John, thanks for telling me that, you know. So here I am taking this guy to lunch and said 30 and out, and he kept me for, you know, half hour lunch turned into an 11-hour day. We were all over the place. But at the end of, the, at the end of that week, uh, poor John went into a coma, and we had to go back out there later that week and uh, hold his family's hand as we pulled the life support from him. But I always remember John saying that 30 and out. And I was getting ready for this. I thought, Lord, please, I'm glad there's a clock up there. Get me 30 and out so I don't keep these poor folks until 2 in the afternoon. So we'll try to get through this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let your steadfastness have full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith 
with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass. Its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So will the rich man fade away into the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he is tempted. I am being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth with the words of truth that he or excuse me, that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Ah, stumble there at the end. But James is kind of a neat book. And I was telling Jan the other day, I said, you know, when I, when I started up there at the desert, uh, I prayed for about a week prior. I said, Lord, give me the book. Give me this message. What do you want me to do? And we started out up there with Galatians. Why? I haven't a clue. But that's the, where I was directed. When I started Doheny, I did the same thing. Lord, where do you want me to go? And Doheny was a bit different. Um, we went, instead of going right through a book, um, I never saw the same crowd more than twice. Um, it was really, they had a two-week vacation. I'd get them maybe twice. So I did topical kind of sermons. Uh, for this, I prayed and I said, Lord, where do you want me to start? And for some reason, he said the book of James. And I, you know, I, I don't see you know, spirits behind every tree and under every rock, but I, I firmly believe that I, when I pray to God and I ask God for wisdom and direction, that I get that. And he led me to the book of James, and that's where we're going to start. But yesterday I told Jan, I said, you know what, I think... I have this message in James 1 that I'd like to bring to you guys. And then maybe next week we're going to switch off to something else. And and that's because I chickened out, to be quite frank. I read ahead in James, and I realized that there's some words in James that uh, for this time in this church might be a little bit of a bump, might be a little bit a distraction. But you know what? It's not my word. It's the Lord's word. And he put it out here in this format, in this fashion for a reason. Not to make me comfortable. You know, when I leave here, I can get in the car and drive out of town like a bat and just... And you guys can't catch up to me. But while I'm standing here, I've got to give you the word of God that's given to me, that's given to us. You have the same thing in your, on your laps now, the same book. And if I skip around those words, you're going to see that I'm skipping around those words. And you're going to wonder, what, Mike, what's your agenda here? You know. So there's no agenda. We're going to go through James for the time I'm here, and we'll see what it says. And it's not an agenda-driven message. There's nobody, please don't think this is, oh, I'm writing, they're saying this because of you. It's not that at all. But the word of God is that. It's God's word, and we have to respect what's in there. So James, when I was reading this this week too, I thought, James, why does he just say James? And now that we're in this modern age and we have the, uh, the internet and the TV and everything, and you hear news coming out of the Middle East, have you ever heard anybody called James Habib or James Hussein? Well, where did they come up with James, I wonder? Hey, Jim. There was no Jim or James back then, was there? So I started looking. I don't know why I see these things as odd. But anyway, it's, his name is really Jacob, and it's uh, Yaakov in the original so we transliterated into James to make it simple for our Western mind. But James 
He says that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many times we can skip right over that and say, wow, that's neat. But think about this for a second. Who was James? He was the brother of Jesus Christ. Half-brother, as many people say. But nonetheless, I was thinking if I was the younger brother of Jesus and I was writing a message, I, was, I might just jump out there and say, hey, it's Mike. Jesus is my big brother. Listen to what I have to say. But James doesn't. He goes right into here. He says he's a servant. Some translations out there will have bond servant or slave. And we talked, one of the songs was about slave earlier. He's not a slave where you have a, an ankle bracelet where you're tied to a tree and you can't do anything. He is a bond servant. There's kind of a co-relationship between James and Christ here and what he's saying. He's not bound to Christ in the sense that he's there being forced to do anything. He's there as a servant. There's a mutual relationship between James and Christ. And when James is writing to us, to, to the church, he's telling us the same thing. You're not a slave. You don't, have, don't feel like you're burdened down with Jesus, that you're a co-laborer with him. You're helping him. He's helping you. There's a mutual love, mutual respect. James is serving Christ. Christ has given back James eternal life. And James is thrilled about that. He's so thrilled about that that he doesn't talk about the fact that this is, that's my brother. He says, I'm a slave, a bond slave, a servant of Christ. And he goes right into, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how many of us that have been Christians for a long time will skip right over the top of the Lord Jesus Christ? But what it's saying there is the Lord, or translated in other ways, master. Jesus Christ is James' master. He's our master. He's, this book was written to us. We should be in a relationship with Christ where we look at him as our master. What do you do when your master bids you to do something? We touched on a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Witnessing. How many of us witness? I chicken out. Dixie, did you say chicken out? Who? Luann. Chicken. We chicken out. It's very, very difficult. When, you, when I'm out at the desert, I'll tell you what, it's not a church crowd that I deal with. You know, The, the only time they know God's name is usually when there's a, a bad word after it or just prior to it. But they're great people out there. If I was afraid to talk to them in that setting about Christ, he wouldn't be my master. I wouldn't be serving Christ the way I should be. And James is telling us the same thing. God, Dios, your God, your Lord, master. And he says, Jesus, and we had it on the so a song early, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was his name, his earthly name. So we don't have like, you know, it, it's not some real hocus-pocus spiritually thing. That was his name. He was a regular guy like you and I, son of God, sent down from the Father for us, but his name was Jesus. It was a man's name. And so Jesus, is, his name in Christ is not like his last name. It's his position in the world. He is our Messiah. The people that James was writing to in the early church were Jews. So when that guy at the beach said, why do I hate Jews? My first thought was, holy moly, I hate Jews? You know, I sprang from a sect, if you will, from Judaism. My master, Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, was a Jew. He came to the earth. He was, he was raised a Jew. We start, The church started from Judaism. How can you possibly be an anti-Semite and look back and hate Jews? It seems odd to me. But that's what, the, that's what he thought. So anyway, James says, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. So here he is. He's writing a letter. And who is he writing to? To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Again, we can pop right over the top of that. Where were they dispersed? Who were they? Well, there was a million one hundred thousand Jews in the Roman Empire that were scattered. And so James is writing to them, and he said, now you guys are all over the place, a million one hundred thousand of you. He's writing this letter. How do you think those million one hundred thousand heard about him? How do you think they were all in one setting to hear about this letter from James? They weren't. They were scattered. This letter was passed about, 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 about synagogues. What is so exciting about that? The dispersion. How can James say, the next line says, greetings. 
Well, greetings is rejoice. We'll get on in a minute, but rejoice. So he's writing to these people that were scattered all over the world. And think about it in just our context. If we were scattered all about the world, if, if something happened here in Rancho, and all of a sudden, 100,000 of us have to get up and go, and we're scattered all over the place. Wow, that wouldn't be anything to be happy about. In his next words, he says here, rejoice. Greetings, which is translated rejoice. He's telling these people to be happy about something. How can you be happy when you're scattered about? It's in God's plan. How can that be in God's plan? Well, when there was a million, 100,000 people scattered all over Asia Minor, all over the Mediterranean, what happened if, a little bit further on? This was written about 40 A.D. After that came Paul. What did Paul do? Paul went on missionary journeys. Where did he go? Scattered abroad. What did he do scattered abroad? As was Paul's custom, he went into the synagogues. Where would the synagogues have been if there wasn't a million, 100,000 people scattered? So in the midst of their pain and their agony and being torn up from their families and scattered all over the Middle East or you know, that region, something good comes of it. Synagogues are planted. Paul, when he goes on his missionary journey, he spreads the word of God through the synagogues, as was his custom in Acts, it says that. So there was a great plan of God to scatter the people, to test them, we'll get into that in just a second, and see how they would react and what they would do. What did Paul then do with that? He took his task, he took his job to witness. He went about the community. He went about synagogue to synagogue, talking Christ with the Jews. So in the scheme of things, you, you got, we're not losing control. You know, a lot of the turmoil that we feel here at the church, we're not out of control. God is in control. God will pull this through whichever way he wants to do it, with us or without us. It doesn't make any difference. This is God's church, and he's going to do with it what he wants. What he wants from us is to be master, or he wants to be master. Are we going to be his slave, his bondservant? Are we going to serve him as we should and listen to him? And how do we listen to him? We'll get into that in a second. But anyway, James says greetings, which is translated uh, here, greetings, but the actual word is rejoice. Count it all joy. Now, he's writing to a bunch of people that were scattered all about. They didn't see the great plan at that time about synagogues being planted and Paul making his missionary journey. So this is a little bit odd for them to hear this. Count it all joy. And when I saw that, my mind works in really strange ways. All I could picture was a cowboy with his gun. I don't know how you get that out of this. But you know when he's shooting cans and tin cans and beer bottles and stuff out in the desert and he puts little marks on the little thing of his... They're marking it up. Count it all joy. Every time something like this happens, count it joy. Mark it off as a joyous event. And he says, my brothers, he's writing to Jewish believers. The million, 100,000 scattered about, they weren't all believers, but those that were mixed in with them were. And he's writing to them. And he says, when you meet trials, not if you will meet trials, not at all if, it's when, we will meet trials, no matter what that is, and not even in the context of, of the turmoil that we're feeling now in our church, but just in life. And the, 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 the words behind this, when you meet trials, it's when they press in about you, when they fall on top of you, when they reach up from underneath, where you fall into them and you don't see them coming. From out in left field, you have a problem come up. You lose a job, you lose a spouse, you have a child that gets sick or passes away or whatever it might be. Those are things you don't have any control of. When those sneak up on you, James is quite clear. He says, count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So when all those things come up, it's the testing of your faith. It's not the testing of you to see whether you're worthy or unworthy. It's the testing of your faith and how you will react to those things that happen. When those things sneak up on you, what do you do? What do you do? What do I do? Do I cower? Sometimes I cower. Sometimes I shake. Wednesday night I was quite nervous. I've got to tell you coming in here. I was, I, because I didn't know what to expect. 
That was testing of my faith. I could have gone one of two ways, or I could have gone two of two ways, I suppose, but I could have said, Carl, nah, you know what? I'm 125 miles from those guys. They'll work it out. Or I could have said, no, even though I'm a little bit nervous and a little bit scared, I'll go in there anyway and see what's going on, see where I can step in, in faith and help. And that's, that's what the choice I made. Not because I'm a great guy, and not because I was uh, testing God's bounds, if you will, but he allowed me the opportunity to help friends within this church. And if I was to say no to that, what would I say whenever God takes me off this earth and says, it's time for you to go home, Mike? How would I stand in front of him and answer that I turned my back when I shouldn't have? And that was the testing of my faith on Wednesday. And not that I'm better than anybody else, but that was my test for that day, and I think I'm happy that I did it. Because now I'm able to stand in front of you and maybe help some of your faith, maybe build you up a little bit where you might be a bit beaten down. God is in control, and God will get us and you through this. And let that steadfastness have its full effect. What is that steadfastness? That's your faith he's talking about. Let your faith have full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Not Christian perfection. Not that you're going to walk through this world 100% perfect, 100% without fault, 100% doing nothing wrong. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about your faith being perfect, perfected. And when I was reading this too this week, uh, we live up where there's a whole bunch of Marines. And I think they're kind of odd characters. She thinks they're cute. But <laughs> they're, you know, they're a bunch of nice guys. And they're all polite. They'll open doors. And they're, you know. But I was thinking about this when James is writing about testing. Let your faith be tested. You know those Marines when they stand so erect. You know, they, I just have the most respect for the military guys. I was never in it, but I think they're the greatest guys in the world. But you know when they stand, there's that uh, commercial, and they have their sword. And they're standing and they're just, I mean, nothing's out of place and they got that sword in front of them. That's what I was thinking when I saw this. And I, I couldn't quite grasp why I was doing that. And then as I was taking the train into work the other day, passing me in the, in the freeway, as we were flying by, the traffic was stopping. There was a truck, big 45-foot trailer down the side of it was a Marine sword. And it dawned on me when I was reading this. The testing of our faith is like that Marine sword. When that sword, if you step back a bit, it became piece of steel and you go back a little bit further it was an iron ore and you know I'm not big in stepping back but it started out as a piece of clay a piece of junk out of the soil and it wasn't until it was tested and it was put in the fire and it was pounded on a little bit and it was beaten down a little bit and then it started to stretch and you can see it now going from a, a lump of steel or iron or whatever it might be and now it's starting to take shape like a bar well this this marine couldn't do much with a bar other than maybe beat somebody over the head with it but as that's tested in fire and it's tapped out a little bit with an artisan Christ our master the artisan it's tapped out a little bit. We don't like getting hit, but sometimes we need to be hit. Tap, tap, tap. What happens? You get this sword. That sword turns into a weapon that's shiny and sharp and beautiful, and it's nothing until he put it in the hands of a Marine. And he's standing there. And I get the picture of this Marine going into battle, and he got all the guys with their bazookas and cannons and guns, and, all that, and there's the Marine with his sword. And I know that Marine with that sword because that sword was tested. He could go into battle and take care of himself. Maybe not against a howitzer, but he's going to be okay. And that's what our faith is. We take that lump, that rock, that yuck, we test it a little bit, we pound on a little bit, and it's going to come out to a little bit of a rod, and then we pound on a little bit more, and it turns out to be a sword. And in Ephesians, where Paul's talking about it, the sword, you know, that's the only offensive weapon we have in our arsenal, the sword. And that's, our, that's the faith that we, we build our whole lives on, is the testing, the little hammering, get that sword, go out. Not to kill anybody, but just go out and be ready to go. And James is trying to tell that to all those poor people in the dispersion. <laughs> And if any of you lacks, let's see, did I skip one? <clears throat> that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. If 
any of you lack wisdom? And that struck me as funny this week too, if any. I do. You know, I don't want to have a show of hands here because I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if I'll ask you the question in your head, answer it if you want. Do any of you lack wisdom? I do. I lack wisdom all the time. I lack wisdom day in and day out. But that doesn't make me a bad or incompetent or knucklehead person. It just means I lack wisdom. And what does James say we do when we lack that wisdom? Let him ask God. How do you ask God? Anyone? Like the scouts when I talk. Anyone? You ask God by prayer. If you don't have wisdom and you are to ask God, you are to go to God in faith to ask Him for wisdom, not for stuff. This particular passage is talking about wisdom, not stuff. There's another passage somewhere else we can talk about stuff, but for today, the, the, the topic here is wisdom. We need wisdom. It is in everything we do. When we go to witness, John, we were talking about this morning. When we go to witness, we need to have the wisdom when to say something and when not. How to say it and how not to say it. But, but to do it. But we just need, to, we need the wisdom you know, because we were talking, we can't do it the way John does it. John has a very unique way of witnessing to folks. It puts me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I'm sure it does many of you. But you have your comfort zone that you can witness in. When I went to the park, you know, I didn't know these people. I didn't know where they stood with Christ. I didn't know if they were Billy Graham Juniors or if they were the guys with the 666 on their arms. I didn't know. But I surely couldn't have done it the way John did it, but I did it the way I could do it, and that was my faith being tested and tried. So when we, we go to God for wisdom, and l- listen to what it says here. It says, who gives generously without reproach. When we go to God and say, Lord God Almighty, please help me, I need wisdom. He gives it generously and without reproach. He doesn't look down his nose and say, how dare you ask me for something like that? You know, he doesn't. He doesn't look at you with reproach. He looks at you and says, my child, you want wisdom? You come to me in faith. You test your faith. I will give you wisdom. This isn't the same as, Lord, I need $1,000 to pay the rent this week. That's a different chapter. That's a different verse. That's somewhere else. But for today, it's wisdom. If you need $1,000 for rent, it's quite clear that the Lord will give you what he thinks is necessary. If he thinks your rent is necessary, you're going to have $1,000 to pay your rent. If he thinks for some reason it might not be, maybe you spent $500 at the casino last week and you shouldn't have $1,000 this week for your rent. Maybe it's a lesson he's trying to teach you. But for this passage today, when you go to God in faith, asking for wisdom, he gives generously and without reproach. He doesn't look down his long nose at you. Didn't we talk about that a little this morning too? God's not up there with a hammer or something looking down at us. Oh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. When you go to God in prayer, it's just like those of us that are parents and your child comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I need blah, 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 blah whatever it is. And we as parents, we decide yes or no. But if our, if our kid comes to us and says, I need a new bike, new wheels, new whatever those things they are, Nintendo thing, we as parents know what's best. God knows what's best. We come to him with all of our stuff. We say, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me $1,000 for rent. Lord, whatever it is, don't be afraid to go to God in prayer, in faith. But when you get the answer, it may not be the answer that you want, but it will be an answer. God always answers the prayers. It takes some time sometimes. You get the answer you don't want. I get it all the time. You know, Lord, I'd like to find a job in Joshua Tree so I don't have to go from there to L.A. every day. For some reason, he's got me still working in L.A. You know, it's, it's a three-hour each-way commute. It's killing me. But... I've got a job. And what happens with a job? I keep the family fed. You know, I get the roof over the house. All that stuff. 
So God knows what's for, right for us and what's not. If he was to listen to me and say, you know, give me that job up in Joshua Tree at the Marine Base, well, maybe it's not the right job for me. You know, maybe they find out that I'm a bum and they throw me out after a month and then I'm unemployed. But he'll know when that door is open. And I've said this in our small groups all the time. When the doors are open, I'll go through them. When the doors are closed, I'll be just as happy as if they were open because closed doors from God are as important as open doors from God. If we're sensitive enough and wise enough to understand that closed doors are important. That's our Heavenly Father, our Master, our Lord telling us, I know what's best for you. And this word here, if he, uh, this double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, that word is kind of a compound word in the original. It's two-souled. When, it, it, when you go to God, if you're two-souled, if you're two-spirited, if you have, you're trying to keep one foot over here in the world and you're trying to keep the other foot over here and be spiritual and wise and look holy and such, but really you're living on both sides, God doesn't particularly care for that. He calls you a two-souled person. He wants you to be of one mind, of one accord, of one soul, seeking him, seeking him in faith for wisdom. And let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That, to me, seems like a real dichotomy. You know? and, and it really brings out the Jewishness, if you will, of James. Because he's, it's kind of a proverb, kind of the way that in the old Proverbs that are written. You know, there's the, the, the yin and the yang, you know, the, the both sides of the coin. It says, let the lowly brother exalt or boast in his exaltation. What do you boast in? What is the exaltation that you boast in? There's nothing wrong with boasting. You know, pride, we talk about all the time. Pride is bad, but it depends on what you're boasting in. If you boast, if you exalt in the cross of Christ, if that is your boast, if that is what you boast about and you brag about and you're proud of, the exaltation of Jesus Christ on the cross for me, that's a good thing. If you boast and say, I'm a pretty good character, I don't need Christ or his cross or any of that stuff, that's a bad thing. And James is saying here, Boast the lowly guy in your exaltation. That is your high place in Christ, the place that you sit at the table in Jesus Christ. Let that be what you boast in. And that is so cool when you think about it. It took me many years to get to that. You know, I thought, Jan, you know more better than anybody in this world. I thought so many times I could do things on my own. You know, yeah, the rent's due, and I know I'll work harder. I'll put more hours in. I'll work, I'll do whatever I can. I didn't want to go to God and say, God, can you please get me out of this pickle? Because I shunned God for a long time. You know, I, I, I was kind of a Christian. I was two-souled. You know, I was a little bit in the world, a little bit in Christian. I was not a very good Christian when things were rolling, baby. When I had the nice BMW and I had the, what is it, the golf club membership and all, oh, we'll go to church maybe next week. And then things started to crumble and I lost my job when I was in a phone booth in West Virginia and I called in to check the office. First thing I did was cry. And after I did that, I tried to call my dad and say, now what, I'm 3,000 miles from home and I cried again. And then I thought, I need to pray. And I thought, no, I can't. What a stupid thing. I told myself I couldn't pray because I turned my back on God for all those months and years. He was, he was good to me when I needed him. But when I didn't need him, arm's distance. What a terrible spot to be in. But if we pray for wisdom, if we live in Christ, if we exalt in what he has done for us and look at Jesus Christ as who he is, he's the King of kings, Lord of lords, Master, Master, Emmanuel, God with us. He's our king. If we look at him that way and don't use him as a, uh, like um, when I was a kid, we had those St. Christopher medals. Don't look at him as, a, as something you hang around your neck as a St. Christopher medal or something, you know, a little widget that you can genie, you know, blow on when it's time to get something good. But look at him as a day-to-day event. Look at him as your ride-along partner. You know, what, you see those bumper stickers about God's my co-pilot and all that and whatever the theological things on that are, that's another day. But, let him be your co-pilot. Let him sit side by side with you in your daily, daily life. 
As you go through life, let him be part of it. Let him be your Lord, your master, your king. And I tell you what, you may have bumpy days and you may need a lot more wisdom, but he is going to be on the ride with you. And he changes gears now from the lowly guy to the, the rich guy. And for those of you in here that might be rich, again, I'll have you raise your hands. I can't raise my hand for that one. But if you're rich, don't, don't be distraught. He's not ripping you for being rich. He says, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What do you exalt in? Jesus Christ and his cross. What do you pursue if you're a wealthy man? Jesus Christ and the cross. If so, that's cool. Exalt in that. If not, if you're trying to get by as a wealthy man, like I did, I wasn't wealthy, but we, we were okay, but if you try to get by and be too sold inside and out, it's not going to work. It just won't work. It's one of those rules of the universe. And if you're a wealthy man, exalt in Christ. Don't exalt in your pursuits. When we came back out here to California, um, we drove over the hill and wherever it was, and we came down the hill and we saw all these toys going by us. Kids, young kids, 20, 30-something-year-old kids, and they had a truck and a trailer and a boat and a blah, 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 and they were all headed out to the desert. I thought, man, oh man, did we miss the, the golden days of California or something? You know, we're coming back in our beat up old Jeep. There's nothing wrong with affluence. Those kids having all that stuff is great. But what, where were they exalting and what was their pursuit? Their pursuit was to go out to the desert on Saturdays and Sundays and enjoy their pursuits. Well, that's fine if that's what they want to do, but they weren't glorying in the cross. They weren't exalting in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. James isn't saying that. He says, if you're a wealthy man and you have all those toys, God blessed you with those toys, take a moment to turn around and thank God for those gifts. But find time to also serve him. Glory in his exaltation. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This crown of life isn't uh, salvation. There's a lot of folks that... It's one of those theological things better probably not talked from the pulpit, but in a study. But the crown of life, in my opinion, is not salvation here. This is a gift. He's talking to believers that already have salvation. He's talking about the crown of life for living an exalted life in Christ, living a life that you can be proud of in Christ, and, and, and being blessed by that, being steadfast in that. And when that happens, the, the, the word for crown, uh, uh, crown of life is... You know, on the the runners, and they get those in the old days. They get the wreath, you know, with the olive leaves and stuff. Well, they uh, they have olive leaves, and one of the words for this is also um, celery. So you have celery around your head, but that's not what God's going to give us when we get to glory. He's going to give us a, a place at the table to sit with Him and, and dine with Him and and sup with Him in the old New King, or the old King James. We'll be able to enter into kingdom as wise stewards of His gifts that He gave us here. After we exalt Him in the cross, we get on the other side. We're going to get a crown of life. That doesn't mean that. Your crown's going to be better than my crown, or you got two crowns and I got five crowns. But he's going he's gonna to adorn us with a crown that he sees fit for us after we get to heaven. We've already been saved at this point. He's writing to believers. And so this isn't really the uh, this isn't salvation, but it's, it's what we're going to get when we get to, to heaven, to be with Christ. It's going to be just, uh, not only when I save a trophy, but it's going to be something that Christ sees fitting for us once we get there with him. Let no one say that when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot tempt anyone with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured. Watch the combination here. Lured, enticed by his own desire, and then that desire, it has been conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. God does not tempt us. God, if you look back at the beginning, tests us. We are tested daily. God 
not to trick us or you know, put his foot out and trip us up or anything, but he tests us. He sees where we are in our faith. He doesn't tempt us. The devil tempts. And that those temptations come from the devil, but they start here. Uh, they start in our heart and in our soul. And, and Jan and I have been married for a while, and she probably gets upset with me telling all these stories, but I was a salesman on the road for many, many, many years. And two year, the, the last two years before I came off the road, one year I spent 200 nights in a hotel room traveling. And if you look at 365 nights out of a year, 200 in a hotel, that doesn't leave much home time for raising kids, which she did without me those two years. But one of the things that I made a decision on early on, not because I'm such a great guy, but because I'm such a miserable wretch, is I wouldn't allow myself to be tested and tempted. I knew that if I was on the road, a salesman, expense account, fancy car, going to the fancy restaurants while she's home cooking lima beans and ham for the kids, I might be tested beyond what I could handle, whatever that might have been. I knew that I was a wretch. I knew that I didn't have enough strength within me to say no to some temptations. So what I, what I decided early on was I would not put myself in the position to be tested, to be tempted, because I knew that if I walked into a restaurant and I walked up to the bar and I sat down and watched the ball game, okay, I might have a bourbon and water. If I have one bourbon and water, I might have four or eight or ten, and I'll jump in the car and drive home and kill somebody. So I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want to go sit in the bar and have some cute little young thing come up next to me and say, Hi, mister, how are you? Because it's embarrassing to say, I don't know where I would draw the line. And so rather than test myself and tempt myself, I drew the line myself and said, I won't be put in that position, not because I'm better than anybody. I'm telling you because I have weaknesses. And what God is saying to us, take those weaknesses Exalt in the cross, look to Christ, and seek refuge in Him, and, and He will get you through those temptations and trials. He doesn't tempt you and test you, or tempt you. He tests you to see where you are in your faith. And that's what He's doing to us. He's testing us to see where we are in our faith. And one of the other things I learned with my, uh, my ministry, too, is I don't, I don't know where everybody is with, with God. And, and uh, early on in my ministry, I thought I did. You know, I thought, well, here I'm in a church full of believers. You know, I, so there's no sense in closing with any kind of. Uh, you know, I, uh, an altar call, if we used to call in the old days. But if you're in a position in your life, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, and I, I just want to throw it out there and let the Holy Spirit deal with it how He wants to deal with it. But if you're in a position where your life, you need some prayer. If you're in a posi- position in your life where you're not exactly sure where you are with Christ, today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day that you can make a decision. You don't have to come up here and parade in front of me and everybody else. But you can do it in your seat. You can think about the message. You can think about who Christ is and where He is in your life. And when you go home, you can dwell on that. I'll give you all my cell phone. You can call me. You can email me. Whatever you want to do. If you want to talk and pray, one of the commitments I gave Carl was I'm going to give this church Wednesday evenings. Uh, I, the train comes through at 6 o'clock. I'll be up here about 6.30. So Wednesday evenings from 6.30 to about 8.30 or 9, I'll be here until um, I get booted out. And then Thursday mornings, for those of you that are early birds, I'm an early bird, and uh, I find that the morning time for me is the best time to pray. If you're out and about and you're on your way to work, um, I will be here at the church on Thursday mornings between probably about 5.36 in the morning and probably about 6.30 or 7. If you're passing by and want a minute of prayer, I'm here. Uh, And then anything else, if you need me for anything, email, phone, anything. Uh, I've got caller ID on my phone, so I see who it is. I'll turn it off if I don't want to talk to you. Just kidding. (laughs) There I go again. But really, my, my goal is, is to serve you however I can to get you through this next couple months until you make a decision on what you want to do. If there's a decision you need to make for Christ, if there's a decision you need to make in your lives and you want someone to come up alongside you like Moses had people come up alongside of him and just prop you up and lift you up in prayer, I'm all, all over that. I just love that. That's, 
you know, why I got the ordination certificate a couple years ago. I have to do those kind of neat things. Um, but f- please don't feel like you can't call or email me. All kidding aside, I want to serve you in any way I can. I want to be a help any way I can. And if I can do that, I, I would be blessed. So, Father, as we wrap up this uh, message today and, and this service today, I, I ask you to please guide us this week. Let us uh, turn to you in wisdom, Father, this week as we go forward and see how it is that we can serve you. But most of all, Father, give us the wisdom to know what to do and when. Give us the wisdom to know how to pray. Give us the wisdom to know how to seek you. Just give us the wisdom that you feel fit that we have. I ask you to please bless this congregation again, Father. Get them all home safely. Let the decision-making process that is beginning today work through and work through all the kinks, uh, but let them know that you're going to be along that ride with them and that you're going to guide them. And uh, most of all, Father, give this church a, a sense of peace that this is your church and that you are along with them. I ask you all this in Christ's holy name. Amen.